0: Jesus born into poverty in an insignificant corner of a conquered nation this is Jesus a traveling preacher a homeless outcast called crazy and possessed this is Jesus another hopeless rebel mocked and beaten hung on a cross to die this is Jesus another lifeless body Stuffed into a borrowed tomb, soon to be forgotten. Is this really Jesus? Wake up. Wake up, O oh sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus sent by the Father to be crushed for the sins of the world this is Jesus declaring to all he would be killed and then raised to life on the third day this is Jesus healing the sick casting out demons raising the dead this is Jesus a missing body from an empty tomb on a Sunday morning this is Jesus the image of invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the Lamb of God, the light of the world. This is Jesus, Savior, Lord, King, Alpha, Omega, Creator, Redeemer, friend to sinners, hope of nations, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the resurrection and the life for all who trust in him. Wake up, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus.
1: All right, good morning. This is Jesus. That's the way we want to start, isn't it? Thanks for being here today. Thanks for uh, coming out and making this day, this hour or so in the Lord's house here at Gateway, a part of your Easter weekend. So good. You know, I was hoping to be able to eat on the patio today, Danny, kind of enjoy the shorts and t-shirt weather, but not sure we can do that, maybe a little bit. Kind of reminds me of the story of the Sunday school teacher who asked her class, uh, she said, what's Easter about? And a bunch of kids raised their hands and said, oh, it's about the Easter bunny or chocolate bunnies or hunting eggs, all sorts of answers were given. And the teacher said, no, 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 what's the real Easter about? The original Easter, what's it about? One little girl raised her hand. She said, I know. Teacher said, okay, tell us. She said, that's when Jesus came out of the tomb. The teacher was so excited she had gotten the right answer. Someone knew the true right answer. And the little girl saw that excitement. She was excited too. So she just continued. She said, yeah. And when he came out of the tomb, if he saw his shadow, that meant six more weeks of winter weather. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm thinking winter's over now. Don't you? I'm hoping winter's over. Uh, Jesus came out. Jesus came out. He might have seen his shadow, but I'll tell you what. He uh, brought light to the shadows. So glad you're here. If you're from out of town, thanks so much for being here with us. If you're watching online, and I know we have some people watching online, thanks for watching online. It was great to start this service out with a baptism of a young lady who came forward at the end of the last service. And who knows, maybe, uh, maybe if you've never followed that command to be baptized into Christ, perhaps today is the day for you. As Joel already said, the water is warm, the water is toasty, so no uh, frozen fingers uh, over there. So uh, we're here today and this is Easter Sunday, we're going to preach an Easter message and I'm so glad to tell you that things at Gateway are going uh, strong. If you're a guest from out of town or from in town, uh, we have a great church. I think Gateway's a great church. I'm so happy for what's going on at our Marmette campus. Anybody know where Marmet is? Marmette? Yeah, well, Marmette is on the other end of Charleston. Just get on I-64 slash I-77 and drive that way. And before you get to the first toll booth, you'll come uh, to some signs that say Marmette. And it's a little spot on the side of the road just a small community there with a few churches, and, and we now have a church. We have a campus there in Marmette, and uh, we, we, we took over this campus. They gave themselves to us because they were struggling. They were ready to almost ready to close their doors, and they were struggling, and they wanted some help. You know, there are a lot of churches going to close their doors this year, unfortunately, and they won't ask for help. They'll just close the door, sell the property, and it'll become a hunting lodge or something. Uh, but Marmad asked us for help, and we gladly said we'd love to be over there. We'd love to help you. So we we kind of moved the church offline. We took it to uh, Sunday night. We took it to Sunday evening. You know, statistics tell us that most people who don't go to church, if they decide to go to church, they'll go on Sunday morning. So we took it offline to kind of get some things squared away. We remodeled the inside. We did some upgrades. We did some training and some change of mentality. COVID hit which kind of made us go longer, but I'm happy to say today, Easter Sunday morning, we're back online. We're we're our Sunday morning, and let me tell you something. <clears throat> we started with about 15 people there. Last Sunday, we actually went online Sunday morning last Sunday to give us a trial run. Last Sunday we had 31 at 31, in my in my estimation, that's the fastest growing campus we have. I mean, they doubled in size just in a little while. But I am also pleased to tell you that today I just checked my text message, and, and we are pushing 60 today at Marmat Campus. I'm telling you something. You get 60 people in that little campus, uh, it's it's going to be rocking. It's going to be full. So I'm, I'm here to say the Marmitians are rocking it out, and St. Albans, we got to keep up with them. we got to keep up with them. And that's so good because I believe if you've been paying attention and been watching things, I believe that uh, churches are going to close their doors, and Christianity is under attack today. I believe Christianity, those who follow Jesus, those who toe the line for the Bible... And uh, and call themselves Christians and meet in places like today. I think we're under attack. We're under attack, not necessarily physically, but what what is still reeling in our minds is what happened in Nashville just a couple weeks ago, when a Christian school was targeted and uh, six precious lives were killed. And so it was a dangerous thing to be a Christian in the first century under Roman rule, and it seems like it's. Dangerous or getting more dangerous in the 21st century to follow Jesus. And unfortunately, thousands of churches will close their doors this year, some of them uh, because they failed to change their methods. They're still doing things the way they used to in the 1950s. The 1950s were great. Can I hear anybody who grew up in the 50s? Yeah, they were great uh, from what I understand. Uh, I wasn't around in the 50s, but I've seen seen, uh, Greece, you know, I've seen the movie Grease, and it looked fun. But we can't continue to do things like we did in 1950s and 60s and 70s and 80s and even the 90s. And so some churches will close their doors because they didn't change their methods, never change the message, Jesus is Lord. But they didn't change their methods. And some will go out of business this, uh, this year because they're in fear. They're in fear. COVID feared a lot of, uh, put a lot of people in fear. And uh, there are so many other things that people are living in fear and churches are going to close. But Let's face it, a recent Pew Research Center poll asked Americans, is faith important to you? Is religion important to you? And what they discovered just recently is that that number is going in a negative direction. This means that fewer and fewer people in America believe that faith in God has a rightful place in their life and in our culture. Fewer and fewer people believe that. And you know, when a person can take a gun and shoot an innocent nine-year-old girl, nine-year-old children, look them in the face and shoot them, that's an indication that there's a darkness in our country and in our world that is so evil, it doesn't even respect the life of the innocent And that's not to mention hundreds of thousands that are aborted still every day in this country. Listen to me when I say this. Our world needs Jesus today more than ever. Agree or disagree? Agree. I hope you agree because it's true. He is the only way of escape from a sinful world. His substitutionary death on the cross at Calvary is our only hope. And it's substitutionary because he substituted in for you and for me. You and I deserve the punishment that Jesus got at Calvary. We deserve the beating. We deserve the crucifixion. We deserve the mocking. We deserved all that because we are the sinners. He was sinless. And so that is our only hope. Peter writes in his first letter about it when he says he himself Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. As the old saying goes, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And the debt we're talking about there is a sin debt. It's the sin debt. This means that without Jesus, upon our death, we would spend an eternity in hell. Yeah, we still believe in hell here at Gateway because it's in the Bible. And upon our death, without Jesus, without us accepting his payment on Calvary for our sins, we would be doomed and destined for eternity in a place called hell. So the question we ought to be asking today, maybe you are asking this question, I hope you are, The question maybe some of your friends are asking, or your family are asking, or if conversations you would have with them uh, were spiritual conversations, maybe this would lead to them asking this question, and the question is, what can I do to get right with God? What can I do to get right with God? Shouldn't that be the question of our world, of our culture It ought to be the question. Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't answering that question. They're not even asking that question. And when you ask that question, you get a lot of different answers. There are some people who say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There's no God. That's just a fairy tale. That's just a myth. That's just made up. It's a crutch. It's a crutch for people who are weak, who need something to lean on and somebody to blame for all the problems in the world. That's all it is. But then there are some people who say, look, uh, it's okay. Whatever you decide to believe, whatever you believe is okay because all roads lead to God. So just be sincere about your beliefs and just just feel good about it. Just feel good about it. It's called feel-good theology. Anybody heard of feel-good theology? It's an understanding of God and of the Bible that makes me feel good, so if I don't like it, I just don't read it. I just ignore it, and, and so there's entire parts of the Bible we have to ignore if we want to feel good. We want to just feel good, and there's some places where you can go and hear all the feel good stuff. You won't hear about hell and sin and separation from God. You'll just you'll just feel good. Oh, we like to feel good. I was playing golf with Dennis the other day, uh, our Marmette campus minister and recovery minister half and half and i i said dennis just drop another ball you don't have to play that when it went over in the woods just drop another one we want to feel good when we leave here right dennis said yeah but i'm just about out of balls (laughs) so uh you know feel good on the golf course is one thing but feel good theology is kind of dangerous you know this pops up when oftentimes when someone dies if someone dies, <clears throat> feel-good theology comes to the forefront. If someone will die, you know, we think we're indestructible, then one day we realize we're not, and somebody close to us or somebody our age dies. And no matter what, almost inevitably, someone starts to adopt this feel-good theology, and they will say something like, uh, well, <clears throat> thankfully, she's not suffering anymore. Or he's, he's gone to a better place. Or, you know, she's, she's an angel in heaven. Then they say something that really feels good. They'll say something like, Now, Grandma is in a better place looking down on us. Grandma is in a better place looking down on us. Now, I don't know about you, but there's three or four times a day I don't want Grandma looking down on me from anywhere. Are you with me? I'm just saying. So here at Gateway, we, we've been in a year-long theme so far on foundations where we're trying to build uh, some foundations into the faith that we have because our foundations are under attack. And so we want our kids to grow up with strong and immovable convictions about the existence of God and his activity in the world. We don't want to ignore that and let them grow up and believe that uh, these things may or may not be true and then get to college or university or out there in adult life and someone posed the question to them, are you sure that's not a fairy tale? And they don't have the answers for that. So we're going to kind of do that today uh, with Jesus. This is Jesus. You know, this is the most popular verse in the Bible, what Jesus said uh, here in John 3:16. You remember this verse? It's often displayed at ball games still. I want you to read this verse out loud with me, OK? "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life." And when that Son of God who came to the earth was here, on one particular day, he said something to a grieving woman, a grieving woman named Mary, who had fallen at his feet. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. See, she was dying. Her brother had just died. She was crying because her brother had just died. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This sounds a little bit like The eternal life, the question, what can I do to get right with God? We want eternal life in heaven. And let me just tell you, you're going to have eternal life somewhere. We hope it's with God in heaven. Amen? So how do we have this? Here's what he told one of his disciples when he asked him a question. He said, Lord, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. How are you going to help us? And Jesus said, read this one out loud with me. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Who comes to the Father except through him? No one. Can't get to the Father without going through Jesus. So to get right with God, you have it has a lot to do with Jesus. You know, we, can talk about a, we can talk about God. We can talk about a higher power. We can talk about a force. We can talk about any kind of generic God we want to out there, and we're okay in the workforce, on the playground, or wherever we are, but when you mention the name of Jesus, people start getting their feathers ruffled, don't they? Like You can't shove that down my throat. You can't push your religion on me. You, you, you can't tell me what to believe. So when you talk about Jesus, oh boy, the feathers stand up on the back of their neck and, and uh, it, we got to fight on our hands. But we're not here to fight. We're here to, we're here to stand strong. We're, we're, here to, we're here to toe the line. We're here to have faith under fire. We're here to speak the truth, how? In love. Now, <clears throat> I'll admit, there is some truth and some good in all religions. All religions have some truth and some good. But when you compare them to Christianity, they don't hold a candle to what Christianity offers. Let's look at them real quickly, just real quick. First, there's Hinduism. You know, most everybody in India, one of the largest population-wise nations in, in, on the earth is in India, and they're Hindu, And the hindus believe in a god but not a personal god you can't communicate with this god you can't pray to this god you can't really hear from this god he hasn't communicated to us they actually believe that three impersonal gods rule the world and their big belief is karma karma and karma means that if you're if you're good in this life when you die you'll come back and maybe be a prince or a noble or you know somebody important but if you're not good You'll come back as a, a cow, a skinny cow. You know, there's tons of uh, people starving in India, but they won't eat the cows. And they're walking around everywhere. Why? Well, because they can't eat grandma. We, we don't want to take a bite out of Uncle Joe. Uh, you know, unless we get really hungry, we might slice off a side of his hip or something. But Hinduism does not give an answer to the big questions of life. Buddhism came out of Hinduism. The Buddha was Hindu. He was Hindu, and he kind of took it a next step. And he didn't really believe in a personal god either. And uh, his his goal was to receive enlightenment and just kind of melt away into the universe. It was it's it's kind of uh, it, it's, it's it's Hinduism with a Buddhist twist. Neither Buddhism or Hinduism offer forgiveness of sins or divine help. They give you the hope of better karma there's no guarantee you're going to get what you want if you cut someone else off on the road somebody else is going to cut you off because that's just the way life works for them new age people you know they're they're kind of the same your goal is to be one with the cosmos or one with the universe islam to their credit is monotheistic in other words they worship one god and they do have a personal God named Allah, but but when they worship, they worship not out of love and devotion so much as out of fear, out of fear of being punished and fear of not living up to something. And they have to do something extraordinary, like blow something up and a whole bunch of other people with them in order to get acknowledgement and favor in the eyes of their God. What kind of a religion is that? Some people believe that Muhammad took most of his religion from the Old Testament, the Jewish religion, Judaism got so close. They gave us Jesus, but then they failed to acknowledge him. They failed to say, yes, this is who God has sent. And so they're still in their sins. Of all the religions, look at Christianity. Christianity is the only religion who has a personal God. I mean, it's a God who, who he, he, you can talk to him. He talks to you through his word, his Holy Spirit whispering to your spirit. He's a personal God who loves us, so he became like us. Other religions would say, oh, no, our God wouldn't dirty himself and come into human flesh. And he definitely, number three, wouldn't die for us. What kind of a God is that? That's a weak God. That's a God who's able to be put to death by humans. That's not a God. But that's what Christianity is, and he did that for us, and the only way to get right with God is through faith in God's Son. Agree or disagree? Agree or disagree? I hope you agree. So with my little bit of time left, I, I, want, I want to talk just a little bit about Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus. First of all, let's consider, because I want to prove to you what I just, all that I led up to, let's consider his ministry. His ministry, you can read about it in the Gospels, but I like what Mark chapter 2, 15 to 17 says. The Bible says, And as he, Jesus, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Isn't this incredible? This is worth pointing out that Jesus did not come for those who had it all together. If you've got it all together, just keep shining your halo, just polish your halo, you're okay. If you're, if you're without sin, if you got it all together, don't worry about it. But I suspect that nobody in here can claim that position. We're all sinners. We are all sinners. We are all in need of a savior and Jesus came for us. Jesus came, his ministry was for us. He he was for those who everybody else despised, everybody else pushed aside. He he was for those who were mistreated, those who were abused, those who uh those who society had labeled in some way he, he was for those who couldn't get up off the off the ground and crawl over to the pool he was for those who were screaming out on the edge somebody help me I'm blind I can't see like blind Bartimaeus he was for those who were so dirty so unclean that they couldn't even get around other people they had to stand and if somebody got close they had to say I, I'm unclean over here don't come over here Jesus was for all of them, and he's for us because we're just like them in some way or another. None of us on our own merit deserve to approach the throne of God. I love the sign Dennis put up at Marmette. It's a sign out front of our Marmette campus that about 60 people today were able to see and hundreds more driving by to go down to get him a hot dog. There's great hot dogs down there in But the sign says, the perfect church for imperfect people. And that's what every church ought to be, shouldn't it? The perfect church for imperfect people because we got a lot of them in here. This is the ministry of Jesus. Let's look at his miracles. Consider his miracles. Not only was his ministry aimed towards sinners, but he performed many miracles. When Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had been uh, crucified and resurrected, he told the people there, the Jewish people, he said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. In other words, Peter said, Jesus did a lot of incredible stuff, and you saw it happen. This, this phrase, mighty works, comes from a Greek word, dunamis, dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite, dynamite. And so the word in other, this word in other places is just simply translated miracles. So a miracle is dynamite. I mean, it's mighty work, it's mighty power. It defied gravity. It defied the laws of nature. It defied human understanding or logic. It, it was an extraordinary and unnatural events. Wouldn't it have been incredible to follow Jesus around and watch this stuff happen? I mean, it, it, would, it would have been mind-blowing. Even for those of us in the 21st century with Hollywood and TV and special effects and computer-generated everything, it would have blown our mind to walk around with Jesus and see him heal somebody and, and and a blind man get up and he can see. He raised he raised a little girl from the dead. He raised a a woman's son as they were carrying him to the. I mean they had already done what they did to bodies back then. They were carrying him to the funeral to the uh, to the graveyard, and this widow of Nain got her son back. I mean it would have blown your mind, and I'm sure it did for these disciples jesus did a lot of miracles for his very first miracle he turned water into wine and many of my southern baptist friends insist they say yeah but it was non-alcoholic wine i don't know if you're from a southern baptist background but we could debate the validity of the wine Jesus opened eyes that were blind, he opened ears that were deaf, mouths that were mute. He made paralytics and other lame people walk again. He multiplied a few loaves and fishes to feed thousands of people. He cast demons out of people. He eradicated disease in many places. I mean, there were some villages that was like, oh, we don't need a doctor anymore. Everybody's well. And what's so interesting about the miracles of jesus listen to this is that the detractors the pharisees his enemies they never questioned the validity of the miracle they never said oh that didn't happen oh you didn't really do that No, no no they knew he was doing these things they just wanted him to stop because he was causing a big scene lots of people were showing up as you can imagine they were showing up to be healed to be touched to see this miracle worker and so the Pharisees were like, stop doing this, because the Romans are going to notice. And if you cause a stir, they're gonna, we're going to lose our place in the nation. They hated Jesus. They didn't care that he was the Messiah. I think they actually believed he was. But the high priest one year said, you know, it's better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish. In other words, let's just kill him, or we'll lose our place in the nation. They weren't ready for change. They weren't ready for the Messiah. And so, uh, the greatest miracle of all was the resurrection. It was a resurrection from the dead. Listen, his virgin birth is absolutely necessary to the core tenets of our faith. Like the first Adam, he was born without a sin nature. But you and I, since the fall of Adam, we are born with a sin nature, which means, and a belly button, by the way, which means that we will eventually sin. We will succumb to temptation and sin because we have a sin nature. Adam didn't have a sin nature. It took an extraordinary event of the devil coming in and tempting him and his wife. You and I are born with a sin nature. Jesus did not have a sin nature. He didn't have a sin nature. Uh, And so when he went to the cross, he was innocent. He was completely innocent. And And we need the virgin birth. We need the crucifixion. For the, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, but we need the resurrection for the application of the forgiveness of our sins. If Jesus had been crucified, that would have been an incredible thing, but if he had never came back from the dead, it would have just been another man, another criminal dying. But Jesus came back from the grave and verified his story was true and that his power was real and he had power to help those of us on the fringe, those who are sinful, those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are grieving. Jesus said, I, I give you hope. I'm giving you hope. This is a sign of hope. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then he said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Paul spent the first part of that chapter proving that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You know, there are a lot of people who don't believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. There are some believe he kind of passed out on the cross, and when he was put in the cool tomb, he came back to life. But that's that's an offense to the Roman people. The Roman soldiers were masters of execution. If you told them, oh, you didn't really kill him, they would have said, let me put you through what we put him through, and we'll see if it kills you. And it would have. It would have. So we have eyewitnesses, Paul says. We have eyewitnesses. These people saw him before he died. They saw him die. They heard him shout to the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, Paul says, three days later, they saw him alive. These are eyewitnesses, folks. If you have an eyewitness to a crime or an eyewitness to an event, that's the best kind of testimony you can get. Now, if you know somebody who knew somebody who had somebody who saw it, that's a different story. But they they saw it happen. That's what Peter said. We saw this happen. We saw him, we saw him die, we saw him afterwards, he really is alive. Who would die for a lie anyway? If your life's on the line and they're ready to say, hey, renounce Christ or die, you'd say, okay, okay. <laughs> it didn't really happen, we, we made that up, you know, that was one of the things we did in the upper room, we made up that story. No, Thomas was in India. Thomas was in India, great story. You know, Thomas, a lot like us, Thomas wanted to see the evidence, he said, I need to see the nail prints. I need to see the side. But Thomas is a lot like us. Thomas was from Missouri, you know, the show me state. And Jesus showed him. Jesus showed him. He said, look, put your hands here. Stop doubting now and believe. Thomas went to India with that passion after that. He began to preach the gospel. They arrested him and Put, took him up before the, uh, the high holy people over there, and they put a spear next to him and said, you either renounce this Jesus nonsense or we're going to kill you. And Thomas said, according to church tradition, he said, I will never deny the faith of the one who died and rose again for me. I will stand by him for the rest of my life, which was only about three seconds after that. And uh, Thomas died standing up for Jesus. After the resurrection, the early church was born. 3,000 people responded to Peter's gospel invitation to repent and be baptized. Peter preached Acts 3.15 to the Jewish audience. He said, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. The church began to grow. 2,000 years later, there are millions and millions of of Christians and hundreds of thousands of churches around the world celebrating on this very day the empty tomb because Jesus is not there. He is alive. Consider his ministry. Consider his miracles. Finally, real quickly, consider his message. What was his message? If someone said to you, hey, well, you know, sum up what Jesus said. Sum up what he said. A lot of you would go to the word love. But Jesus said, I love you. He said, I love you. And Jesus did say that. He did say that. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die on a cross. But is that really the gist of Jesus' message? I mean, if, we, if, it's, if it's just about love, if he came just to let people know, hey, it's okay, I love you. No, it's more than that, isn't it? I love you, and I want to show you. I want to show you. I want to die for you, and I'm not just going to die so you can celebrate my death. I'm going to die so you can spend eternity with me. So we read it already, John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Paul the Apostle in Romans 5 said, Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get right with God? Through Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say we're made right with God by being good or by not being bad by not saying bad words on the golf course, by not yelling at our kids in the car, by not getting in a fight with your kids on the way to Easter church. You know, where some of you said, shut up. We're going to worship Jesus today. And when you get in there, you smile and act like you like it. Is that what you guys had to do? No, you're not made right with God by being good enough or not being bad. You're made right with God through Jesus because he was good enough. He was good enough. He took the penalty for your sins. He paid the price, and he offers you the opportunity to cash in on that deal. Cash in on that deal. You can have it. You can have it. Everybody can have it. There's room for everybody. There's room for everybody. The Bible says Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance, to saving knowledge. It's for you. Are you wondering how you can get right with God? Is that even a question you're asking yourself? At some point, when you get closer to the end of your life, you're going to be asking that question. What, what, what about the end? What about eternity? What's going to happen next? What about my loved one? What, what about my grandma? What about my parents? What about my daughter? What about my son? Can we count on God to do what God said he's going to do? Amen. We can. We can. I want to invite you to stand up with me. And if you're here today and you want to know more about what you can do to get right with God, what's your next step? What do you need to do? Then I want you to come and talk to me. But I'm going to tell you, you need to accept that Christ paid the price for your sins. You need to embrace that. You need to own that. You need to thank him for that, that. He died. For you, And when you embrace that, you follow that up with some things. You follow it up with repentance. Hey, you're going to turn around and start living for him. The Bible says you follow it up with confession. You're going to make a statement. Make it, just make a claim in front of the body of Christ and say, here's what I believe. Follow it up with baptism like uh, uh, the young lady did this morning to, sh- to show everyone what God has done in your heart and how he's changing you and then go live for him. Go live for him. And so if you'd like to know more about any of these things, you come as we sing this song. But I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this message. Apply it to our hearts. You are so good and gracious, and we trust you right now to work where you can work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be standing right over here. Joel's over there. We'll be happy to talk to you during this song.